Welcome to The Row Show. We're your hosts, Lawrence Britton and Jake Green. And in this podcast, we're going to go into everything related to sport and performance. And we're also going to talk a little bit about rowing. In South Africa. It brings people together, it breaks down barriers. My passion Winning. is to be the best. Being the best is something we strive for. Sacrifice, roles, high fit, compassion, great, life. passion, fiction, gold, ultimate goal, glory, relentless training, pain, pain. <laughs> Hello ladies and gents and welcome to our first major episode of 2022 and yeah as always it's myself Lawrence Britton and this is Jake Green and today we're kicking things off with Austrian scholar and Olympic bronze medalist Magdalena Lobnik and yeah I mean what a what an awesome way to start the year off of course you know we've chatted to a few Olympic um, athletes and uh this is actually an interview that has been on our shortlist for a while, and uh, it's definitely someone that we identified after the games that we'd love to chat to. So we are really uh, chuffed that we managed to get some time with her and to talk about her career. And I think, you know, Lawrence, looking at her career, it's it's another it's another awesome um, story of someone that's been really fighting for their place in the the women's single skulls and has put in a lot of work to get on top of that podium and. I'm sure you'll you'll pick it up through the chat. There's it just seems like there's this is the the first step up onto a new level, and there's just so much more room for her to 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 go in that in the event. Definitely, and I mean a really successful junior. I mean we start off the the show talking about how she represented uh, Austria three times as a junior, which I mean I think is massive to have that much skill and and talent so early on in your in your careers is always really impressive. And I think we haven't chatted to anyone that has spent that much time uh, at a junior level and, and, and been to, to that many uh, junior national champs or world champs. So uh, that was awesome. And then, yeah, going forward, just fighting for, for her place and then really coming, finally getting it and earning it and owning it in the, 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 the Tokyo cycle was, was really, really cool to, to get into. Mm, no, for sure. And like, you know, the women's single skulls, it's, it's definitely one of those events where the, the experience and you know the the pedigree comes through and you know Magdalena is definitely someone that's that spent a lot of time grafting in, in that event so that that bronze medal in in Paris I mean your in Tokyo is definitely <laughs> the first uh, the first rung up the ladder I'm sure we'll see good things from her going forward in Paris for sure and before we get into the show I thought uh, we'd just give a little touch on um, what we've been up to. What do we have planned for the next few, um, the next few, few months and uh, and years on our own life and on the row show? So I think for me, I've decided to um, just kind of take a bit of a break from rowing. I think uh, you know I've been in the in the national team since two thousand and nine, uh, thirteen years, uh, and for, and for me, I think the big one was to- was COVID was really kind of such a, a dampener for for my last uh, few years. So I've just kind of had a step back. Definitely not done with uh, with rowing at all, and uh, just kind of having a break, getting something fresh. I've been uh, becoming a carpenter and building yeah. stuff, and it's been amazing. I'm loving it. Yeah, no, for sure. You must definitely go. T- anyone out there you must go check up Simply Divine Carpentry. There, you'll see what Lawrence has been been up to this year. But it's uh, it's definitely some exciting stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, from my side, we've uh, you know we've we've are, are the the rowing teams under new management and uh, there's a lot of big changes happening on the rowing side i've decided to go for another cycle and been a pretty busy start to the beginning of the year but 
yeah, hopefully you will see me sometime soon coming and uh, racing overseas. And yeah, I think it's going to be, you know, a very exciting year for both of us. And of course, the row show, obviously planning on, uh, you know, taking things up another level. And, you know, this has been a bit of a slow start to the year, but we've uh, tried, gotten to a good uh, routine now of lining up some interviews. So hopefully we're going to try and keep the the, the episodes coming on a weekly or bi-weekly basis and make sure that the content comes at more regular interviews, I mean, intervals. And um, yeah, there's some interesting avenues we're trying to explore with um, also new episode ideas. Uh, the Boathouse Banter is hopefully going to become a regular um, episodic series on the, the row show. And uh, yeah, I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy that. We've got uh, the, the following week after this, you'll, you'll be chatting to Martin Cross. So I mean... You, you guys are going to have a lot on your plates this year from us. Oh, and then I think also, you know, the, the amount of racing is going to be amazing because, you know, through COVID, we, we missed so many big races and it was such an issue. And, uh, and you know, even then our episodes struggled because we didn't have the, the hype train and the, the regatta madness episodes. So we're going to try and push those out really nicely. And also with me not racing uh, all the time, it's gonna be it's gonna be nice to just have that uh, those feet on the ground to to do those episodes. So yeah, really looking forward to it. And as always, a huge shout out to our patrons. You guys are legends and just really supporting the show and giving us uh, that opportunity to to go forward. So yeah, I think without further ado, let's get into the show. Enjoy. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another awesome interview on The Row Show. And we are very lucky today. We are joined by Olympic bronze medalist from Tokyo, Magdalena Lobnik from Austria. Magdalena, thanks for coming on the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I know. We've got a lot of exciting things to cover. And uh, you've obviously had a very successful year last year um, racing in Tokyo. But we want to just, you know, we've, we've, we've done our research and we looked at your your results and there are a couple of interesting things that we would love to you know pick your brain about and one thing that you don't see very often is um you know when you were much younger and still racing at a junior level i see you went to three juniors which is very impressive and it's just interesting because you know not a lot of not a lot of rows out there we see have, have gone to those many so you know just chat to us about those kind of those experiences what they were like at such a young age to get so much experience before going and racing, you know, at an under-23 level and later on at seniors? Yeah, I mean, it was amazing to medal at my first uh, junior world champs um, at the age of 16, I think. I was 16 there, so it was really nice. But you can imagine that the year after we became fifth, so it was a big disappointment afterwards. So it was going up and down, and then we medaled again in 2008 at the junior world champs, so that was a nice ending. But if you start successfully, then um, it's hard to keep on going like that. So yeah. Yeah, the pressure is on always. And then even one of the, the juniors was at your, in your, in your home, last one, uh, you know, in, in Austria, in, uh, in Linz. So, and, so that must have also been really special to straight away when you're so young to still be racing right on your doorstep as a, as a national athlete. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, I really like to do higher competitions at home. And yeah, 2008 was a good preparation for 2019 when we had the, the big one at home. Mm. But yeah, it's the pressure is always there. But, you know, the, the attention from the state and from the media is so much higher when you have some local um, regardless at home. Yeah. 
but you have to get used to it. It's big level racing always with some tension. Mm -hmm. mm. So, so from there, so now you you straight away you've done three juniors, you've represented Austria, you know, three times, and you you must be feeling pretty com comfortable, you know, on the on these big regattas. So, how was your like next few years coming into the the national team? I mean, already in two thousand eight, you raced European champs, and you know you started taking those steps into the the kind of big leagues of uh, of senior racing, and. When did that rowing bug really bite you? When did you decide that no, you actually wanted to to chase the Olympics, to to go for for something you know a little bit bigger and take it uh, take it that little bit further? I mean, it came really early. I would say it came already with with the junior world champs in two thousand and six. So yeah, you get addicted to that success feeling. I would say, yeah, and then I. I wanted to see because I, I also went to um, America for a sports stipendia in South Carolina. So I also wanted to somehow see what rowing also offers outside of national team rowing. But mm. I, I immediately felt that um, I want to go back to Austria and, and race for a national team. And so I did. So I always wanted to be in the team. And I think I raced for a national team each year since then. So, yeah, I made it each year. So that was, was nice. And, um, yeah, each year you have new um, goals and new boats and new um, boat crews. And you always mm. try to do your best. So, yeah, it's always nice. I like, I like that. Um, and then we, we want to chat a bit about, you know, the, the rowing in the, the Austrian team. And one thing we noticed uh, immediately from looking at your, um, at, your rowing, at your rowing career is that you know, you spent, um, you know, that, that, 20, that uh, 2012 area building up towards there, you spent a lot of time racing in crew boats um, and you, you know, you, you, you did well. You got picked up two, two medals at 123s, one in 2011, one in 2012. And then 2013, you made the decision to move into the single. And I'm very interested to find out what the, what the experience was like moving from these crew boats because you didn't race the single at a younger age. You moved into the single a bit later on. And immediately in 2013, you found success at the senior level in a boat class that a boat class that is usually dominated by older, experienced athletes, and it's a, a boat class with incredible amount of depth and competitiveness. So I'm interested to see what what 2013 was like. You know, racing, picking up a medal at European Champs, and racing in a finals against you know some of the the biggest names in the sport. Well, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, I had some troubles with my um, former crew partner from the double. So I wanted to get independent. And um, also in 2012, I got kicked out of the sports military system, even though I was under 23 world champion. So I said to myself, okay, I'm going to show you now how fast I can go. And I trained like a demon in 2012 to 2013. And they made really major steps. And I always wanted to try the single also in 2012, but they put me back in the, in the double, which worked quite well. But um, I knew I couldn't can move a single fast. And 2013, I had the first chance to show it at the Europeans. And I meddled immediately. And then nobody could say anything anymore. So um, they just let me do the single. And I was really, really happy because, yeah, in crew boats, you always... Um, 
you are always dependent to the to the other girls in the boat. Yeah, it's normal. And in a thing, it's just you and and your power and your strength and your mental uh, ability. And I really liked it and uh, just wanted to show and yeah, it worked. Right. So it's really funny because um, everyone we speak to, they in very separate camps usually. You know, there's the athletes that enjoy the crew boat that want that, they want that reliance on somebody else and to have that team environment where they bring in two people or three or I mean or four or eight people together to to bring out everyone. Or they're the scholars who are, if I can do it by myself, I will be better and I will do it you know, my way is, is, is easier. So it's really awesome to hear that you're already, even in, uh, in the 2012 cycle, you already knowing that you could, uh, you could go in the single and you could, um, perform there. So yeah, it really, really just the interesting thing that, uh, that we always pick up because there's only those two camps, you know, there's not very many people that do well in the, the single who want to row in, uh, in crew boats. I know there's two groups, but, um, yeah. All my juniors and under 23s, I, I raced bigger boats and I was really ready to do it on my own. And when you're so much faster than, than the second girl in Austria, you just want to do the single and not the double. So it was just, for me, logical to do the single. And yeah, I got the support from the federation and yeah, I brought the results. So that's, that's the most important thing. And then on Austria, is there a lot of... Um... Are they like, how does the team work? Is it everyone training in one place? Because, I mean, it's, it's similar to South Africa where there's not a lot of people that are, are in the national team. You know, the national team is small. It's a long way from fielding, say, an eight. But, you know, there are a lot of quality athletes in the, in the team. So does the team all train together or is everyone kind of spaced out and, and doing their own thing? So basically, we have three rowing centers in Austria. We have one in the south where I live. Um, it's also, yes, it's Volkermarkt. It's also where the, the German aid always trains. Maybe you, you saw it on pictures or Instagram or so. Um, we have one center in Linz, Ottensheim, where the home world champs uh, were in 2019. And we have one rowing center in Vienna. So we are split up in three centers. But yeah, it's nothing compared to bigger rowing nations. I mean, yeah. In my space, we are at the moment five to six athletes who train for elite rowing. So, yeah, but in the past years, I was more or less alone in Volkermark. So I really enjoyed to go on camps and have the team feeling around me. Even though I'm a singles mm -hmm. color, I just, you, know, you need teammates. Otherwise, you can't do it on that stage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's hard yeah. to do everything on your own. So I really enjoy the, the team surrounding. But, yeah, I like the single a lot. Yeah. And I suppose it's, you know, it does, it does feed well into your, your sculling when, you know, you're in a position where the, you need to be independent in a system where, you know, the, the rows, the, the, you know, there's not a lot of rows around. So, um, rowing in a single, I suppose, did help a lot. And then, you know, you, you're rowing in a single and it's, it's very interesting to see because immediately, you know, I had a good year in 2013 and then 2014, 2015, settles in and you've spent a few years racing against this the senior girls and you you managed to qualify for your first olympics what was the the mindset like for you um having raced a couple of years you qualified for the first olympics in rio and then you know that that must have been a huge thing for you to be able to qualify for your first games in in rio it must have been quite special getting to rio in the in the single skulls 
It was a huge release. And I mean, the, the World Champs in Ecbelet, they were a disaster for me because it was the only time in this uh, series from 2013 where I couldn't reach the final and I had to yeah. do the qualification in the Crucial B final. So oh, it was really hard race for me because I was ill at that regatta. So I took everything out of my body to just reach top three in that shitty B final. <laughs> And you did, oh, you nice. made it. You, yeah, you made it in, in ninth. And we've spoken about it um, on the podcast before. You know, and we've also been in those qualification races as well. Those those B finals, the, the world champs before, is they are some serious races there because it's an interesting race. You know, you have those qualifying spots. There aren't any medals on the table. It's all about getting into those qualifying spots. So I'm sure you know, for you, that must have been big pressure because obviously, you know, it's the first time you hadn't made the final and then suddenly you were under the pressure like, oh my Lord, I need to make these Olympics. It must have been quite a, a a different experience to racing that you probably had before. Yeah, it was it was really a disaster, like I said. Um, there's so much fear before that race uh, that you can't show, yeah, that you can't perform. But this... Anxiety is also bringing you to concentrate on the start line. So I really like to do that. I mean, it's it's a healthy feeling of pressure, I would say. But in B finals at uh, pre-Olympic World Champs, it's yeah, it's just after that race, I said I don't want to experience this anymore. But then in <laughs> 2019, I had the same Indeed, situation. I, yeah, <sighs> one of because, our. Uh, yeah. One of our top listeners, James Thompson, he always thinks that they should put the A the B finals after the A finals for the qualification yeah. years because those races are Crazy. insane yeah. and they're so, so heated. And, you know, you always have those back markers just driving it on because they have nothing to lose once you fall, you know, into fourth or fifth or sixth place yeah. and out of the, the spot, you, you're just cashing everything you've got to, to put yourselves back into yeah. it so it's it's a very difficult uh, place to race and it's probably only come second to the late qualification uh, yeah. regatta which we, <laughs> we know Magdalena well. you've done the B final world champs I can promise you do not want to go to the late qualification <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah can you imagine oh, it's the same yeah. crucial race yeah so obviously then the the disappointing um, 2015 Ege you kind of, you still managed to get the qualification spot though. You still booked yourself for the, the, the 2016 games. And obviously that fire burned quite hot because then the next mm. year you started or you, you know, you hit it with a bang with the European champs. Yeah, it was old, really cool. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was a special race, I would say. <laughs> uh, it was quite wavy there. So, but I had a great shape. So I started the season with, again, a B final, which was really un, mm. unnormal for me, unusual. So I was really disappointed, but I, I was ill so many times. So I always had the feeling I was training too much because I always got ill at, at major races. So yeah, we tried to get this uh, in better, con under better control, but we couldn't. So in 2016, I was really happy when I went uh, home with the gold medal from the Europeans and that gave me a lot of confidence for the Olympic Games but yeah I mean Olympic Games were nice I was in the final but in the final race I just yeah was yeah, in the backfield yeah 
was also a, very disappointed. Yeah, I'm sure. You, I'm sure you must have been disappointed, and it's it's actually something that I, you know, I'm always interested to speak about with single scholars because one another thing that separates single scholars from the bigger boats is the amount of racing that you have to do at these events you know exactly. you have to go through a heat you have to go through a quarterfinal a semi and then the final and you know i'm sure that kind of that at, at, that was your first olympics you know we can talk about we'll get into the experience but you know if you look at your experience racing in skull like talk, chat to us about how how do you manage all those different um all those different races especially at a world cup event where you have literally a weekend to get all the racing done it must be quite a big challenge being able to pace yourself to you know get through those um those those qualification races to get to the final yeah yeah like you said i mean it's it's tough in an eight at the olympics you just have in the best case you have two races so that's quite easy um yeah in olympics it's it's difficult you have to bring your mental fitness up and down all the time I mean, you're nervous, you want to concentrate, then you feel like, oh, it's taking so much energy. Yeah, the anxiety and the stress, you can't handle it all day or a week long. Yeah. So you have to bring it up and down all the time. And that's that making that's making it really difficult, uh, I think, for singles colors. Um, also, I mean, you always try to avoid rapper chances. So, yeah, that's what I'm always looking for. <laughs> Let go an extra round. And then it's also, yeah, but... It's it's stressful, yeah. It's it's really hard, and I saw it in in that season, or from the from 2013 to 2016, that I can show one good race at one regatta. I can't show it twice. So mostly I put everything in a in a semifinal to get into the final, and in the final sometimes I could medal, but not always. So it was not constant racing for myself. And that's what I exactly showed at the Olympic Games. So I had a, a really nice semi-final um, where I led the race till the last 200 meters, I think. And this gave me hope. This gave me promise that I maybe can medal in the final race. But yeah, I knew that I don't have enough time to recover between semi-final and final because the final was set on the next day. So that was not good for, for my body to recover well. Mm. I think and it's, it's also really it's also with the skull because of those those races i always find you know you everyone starts off with the heat and typically at the olympics at least um i usually find world champs is a bit more difficult but the olympics i find that the heats are are for the scholars if you are a fast scholar such as yourself your heats aren't too difficult but then the seeding of how which scholars go into which final you might have to race the 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 you know the gold the gold medalist your a final competitors in a quarter or semi so yeah. you you might not always get easy progression you might need to have a, a quarter final of your right of your life some of the you know we often see in olympic semifinals that you get multiple medalists in one semifinal and you know yeah. i mean i can i can look at your your semifinal in tokyo was ridiculous so it's it's another thing you you it's a luck of the draw you never know how the seating's going to work so that makes it quite challenging yeah when i saw the semi-final for tokyo i was sleeping really bad (laughs) 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 but yeah i knew i had a really good um preparation so i was confident that i can do it but 
yeah, you never know. There's, those are really mean girls in the race. Yeah, no, for fun. sure. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, like you said, obviously you were quite disappointed with your your finish at, at the Rio Games. But, I mean, going to the first Olympics, you know, it's it's something that rowing, you know, rowing is so, the sport is so dominated by these four-year periods where the Olympics are the, the, the ultimate goal. Going to your first Olympics in itself must have been an incredible experience to have put in all that effort moving into the skull, getting your independence and actually, you know, doing really dominating uh, in, in a lot of races and, and becoming really competitive. It must have been an incredible experience just actually getting to, to Rio and soaking up that Olympic experience. It must have been amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a roller coaster of, of sport, I think, the feeling roller coaster. I was really happy when I got into the final race and I was so proud. And I said, okay, next day I will just rock it again like this. But um, yeah, when I've just ended in sixth place, the disappointment was so much stronger than the happy feelings the day before. That's that's a crucial about sport, I think. It changed everything in one day or in one minute. I mean, what also came to my position was that Austria didn't medal at all at that time. So not rowing, but the whole Austrian um, state didn't medal at the Rio oh, Olympics. And they were all watching myself, you know, the pressure was on again in that race. And everybody was sitting on the um, grandstands and watching Magdalena race and hoping for a medal because the semifinal times showed that I'm maybe medal, but yeah. If I do good and, and have a lot of luck, I can maybe show it. But then I was just, yeah, putting a disaster down the lane. So I was really unhappy and, yeah, frustration was high and the media were writing not good headlines, you know, and everything, everything is coming together and that's just making a big frustration after nice Olympic Games. Yeah. I mean, yeah. nobody, nobody else was in a female Olympic boat in Austria in a final. Yeah. yeah. So I just would have, should have been, been um, really happy, but I couldn't. So it was really a hard time after that. Mm. But that is also how, like, especially from our Tokyo experience where things didn't go very well for us, it's how, you know, the the media and the, and the you know the the general public they don't see the big the bigger picture yeah. watching that one race they were only watching that final and if you don't do it on the final then you kind of have haven't lived up to kind of what people expect or what the media expects so you kind of have to take it upon yourself to look at the, the bigger picture and realize that how far you've come and how much you've done over the you know the the last year or the last olympic cycle i think it's you know, and yeah, I think it's it's quite a, a big thing for, for us and, and something that me and Jake definitely need mm. to deal with quite a lot. Yeah. I mean, the media is creating a picture for, for the public, but also for yourself. I mean, they're wishing for a medal for you too. But if you don't bring it, they just, yeah, destroy you after that. Yeah. <laughs> they don't, care, they don't um, know the feelings in your head. Mm. Mm. Well, I can I can see post post Rio there must have been a big mindset shift and uh, a renewed sense of purpose for the next cycle because you know 2017 is definitely I'm sure you look back at your years of rowing and, and 2017 must be one of those years where you you look back um, fondly because you had such strong racing that year you medaled at every single um, uh, event 
at at um, all the World Cups, the World Champs. I think you might have been the leader on the World Cup circuit going into World Champs. So it must have been, and then obviously racing at Sarasota, coming away for the bronze medal, which was your first uh, time sitting on a podium in the women's single skulls. It must have been a massive validation for your ability as a rower to turn that sixth place around at the Olympic final. And, and then the following year, you're standing on the podium in the, the single skulls and the first year of the, the road towards uh, um, Japan. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought a lot about um, what I have done the previous years and I just wanted to get a better athlete and I wanted to train smarter to not be ill all the time. So we changed the program. We, yeah, we, we changed the technique and I changed my mindset and that was the biggest thing, I think. So I said, okay, when I, I'm racing, I just, I want to be in the medal podium. I'm not racing for six places anymore. So that I changed my, my head and, and my racing strategies, strategies. And yeah, it worked quite well in that year. And it was really amazing to, yeah, medal in each race and to be overall World Cup winner and to medal at the senior stage in the World Champs. Yeah, it was really, so I thought it was a really cool race. So obviously the mental change was was the big one because that obviously facilitated all the other changes. So what were the some of the big changes in the in the training program um, and the technique for you uh, going into twenty seventeen? I think we did too much um, pieces all the time. So if you if you do a lot of threshold training and so your immune system is always down and you're open for infections and everything. And yeah, I got this one under control. And I also did some other medical stuff to, to get my body under control. And yeah, I, because I was, I was always suffering on some synthesis, you know. So I, this knocked me down really long time all the time. So mostly when I was ill, I was lying two weeks and then to build it up again, it takes you three weeks. And then you can count the, the weeks away from a uh, winter training. And yeah, mm. got this under control. And now, yeah, the, the season was just better. And I really enjoyed racing. I was so fit in 2017 that, yeah, I could show it the whole season, not just for one race. Going on into those next couple of years, 2018, another successful year. Again, you, you managed to uh, self, uh, get that silver medal finish in 2018 and another uh, podium at the World Champs. And this is another element of the single skulls that I, I want to chat to you about because, you know, it's as as an athlete like yourself, it's, it's, it's such an interesting event. You have so many different people racing in the single skulls, and you can never be 100% sure on who is going to be fast each year. It's, it's, it's like every year there's a – I mean, this cycle, there were pretty much a different world champion leading up to – um, the the Olympics. Sunita did manage to win those two world champs, but it's like it's it's a roster. Like you know, you have a world champion, and then the next thing you have to those people might be racing in the B final. So, as a single scholar, talk to us a bit about that that challenge of being consistent and handling that high competition all the time, and, and never really knowing who who's going to be fast, um, and you know who 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 might be a bit of a wild card. It must be quite a a stressful situation going into racing, not 100% sure on what's going to happen and what other athletes are going to give you. 
Ja, it's always a mental fight and you know which girls are hard to beat and which ones are easy to beat and yeah, everyone has an own strategy to, to race or a race plan and sometimes it changes but normally you know where you can break somebody and yeah, and the thing is, you know, when you feel strong, you can race strong, but if you don't feel strong, there's always the ability to to bring out your mind and to race with your mind. But sometimes it's not bringing you over the line. So, yeah, you can't um, ignore the body. You always have to be fit. And yeah, singles colors are the fittest people in, in the rowing scene, I would say. And yeah, I, I trained a lot with, um, with Chevy Stone, you know, we, we shared camps mm. together. And you learn from each other. That's, that's really nice to see how hard everybody trains at home. And, um, if you know that you can beat somebody in training, then you also know you can beat him in the race. And that's what gives you confidence to, to go in the season and to race those big names. Mm. No, I'm sure it is. And it's just, I think there's a lot of respect in the rowing community towards, towards the single scholars, just, you know, based off the the competition and all the racing because it is um it is in my mind it's it's you know we rowing is this it's one sport but like the single scholars that they have to face a lot of things that are quite different um from from a lot of the other events like the multitude of racing the depth in the, the different events um and like you said like if you race in the eights you get to world champs typically you've got two races that you know the fast days will only have to race twice and you know for the competitive single scholars regardless of uh, your ability you have to go through at least four races to get to that mm-hmm. a final so it's a different it's a different world and um you know this brings us to, to 2019 again i'm sure it must have been just like 2015 we spoke about a bit earlier it must have been a, a tough result at world champs and especially at coming home towards linson in austria um, it must have been a difficult result for you to to race and and get through um, and you know race that B final. But at the end of the day, you did manage to uh, make that Olympic qualification. I'm sure you must have been like, I can't believe I've I in 2015 I flip and raced this thing in the B final, and this time round again I had to race the qualification race in the B final. So, you know, what was that experience like um, in in Linz in 2019? Oh, yeah, Linz was really. Yeah, it was also a disaster, like 2015. I was also ill just before the home world champs. I mean, I think the, the pressure was also too high on, on my person because I medaled the two world champs before and everybody was expecting again a medal from Magdalena. But 2019 was in, in all a really difficult um, year because my, my coach quit just before the season did start. So three weeks before the first race, he, he quit, uh, surprisingly. I didn't know anything about it. And I was standing there alone because the federation couldn't bring me a coach who was in, in my area. So uh, I tried to train with head coach, but he was, um, he was, um, he had to coach other boys, you know, he had the whole team to, to look after. And, um, yeah, I prepared almost alone and that's, I think the biggest, it was the biggest issue because in a single, you're, you're alone, obviously. Yeah. And if you don't have a coach who's, um, taking decisions from yourself, it's really hard because you always have the feeling that you're doing too, too few training and not too much. That's, that's always what's, what's 
sportswoman yeah. or sportsman think. It's the hardest thing is to make the breaks in the right time. Um, that's what I couldn't really do at, uh, just before the World Champs. But yeah, in the end, I, I could qualify for, for the Olympic Games and it felt like medal for me. And yeah, also the, the spectators did celebrate me like I would have medaled. So that was really nice <laughs> at the end. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I suppose it's it's always nice, at least you know, racing in, in your in your home crowd, even if your results not the way you want it to be. You know that your your friends, your family, and your you know your fellow countrymen are there to to support you. Because I think for a lot of rowers, I think it's a big deal to have a home crowd because you know our sport means we have to travel all all around the world, and not often you get to race in front of a home crowd. So it still must be special, despite the result, to race. Um, in your home country and in front of the, you know, the, the, the people, your fellow countrymen. Yeah, it was nice. But yeah, like I said, it's also stressful when you know that everybody's there and they're there for you. And then you're in the B final, you, you feel like you disappoint <laughs> them. So that's, that's really yeah. hard. And I felt really uh, disappointed on the start line. I said, okay, now I just want to make this. To, to get the ticket for, for Tokyo and yeah, they were really lovely. They were cheering me on the whole regatta course. So the support was really helpful for me and it was really lovely to have them there. And without them, I wouldn't have done it, I think. So yeah, it was, it was really nice to, to do it at home. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a good thing the, the end of the, the Olympiad ended off on a fantastic result. So, um, yeah. but anyway, so 2020, I mean, 2020 was an absolute shocker of a year. COVID hit and it was a big thing for athletes around the world. I remember we got the news. We were on a, on a, a pre-competition camp. We were, you know, we knew that there was COVID happening. Obviously, Europe got hit really hard early on. Italy was a huge hotspot early on. And we were a little bit, we, had, we got it a little bit later, maybe a month later after the uh, Europe did. And it must have been a difficult period before and even leading in must have been a really difficult year for, for yourself having suddenly, you know, all of this, um, you know, all of this motivation, all of this purpose to get to the Olympics had suddenly been taken away. And here you are um, in a year where you, you isolated and you need to uh, suddenly have to like reframe hard work. So chat to us about your experience of 2020. What, you know, what happened? Where, where were you before it hit? And then what did you, the rest of the year look like for you? In terms of training and you know what things did you have to do to keep the to keep the dream alive and keep the the, the 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 train going well i think i have to first say that in 2019 after world champs i i was really unhappy because i had the ticket but um i had no coach who was able to coach me to an olympic medal so i made a big decision to join a, a foreign coach from germany and I joined this group, and from then on, in, in fall of 2019, we ran many, many camps. So this did last till till spring in 2020, when Corona did hit uh, Europe. So I was in a good environment, and then I was secure that I have I have a team, I have a coach who's um, who's there for me, and who's um, yeah, who's confident that he can bring me to Tokyo in a good shape. And he prepared me also quite well for for the case that there might be a, a, an extra year for preparation for Tokyo. So it was not a really big surprise for me that I have one year 
more preparation time. Mm -hmm. And I was really happy about it because we changed the program again in 2019. Um, and I was curious to say how my body would react. So yeah, it gave me just an extra year to, to get used to the program. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, we were um, in 2020, we were on many, many camps. So we were at home for, for the first three months in where Corona was just yeah, brand new to, to Europe. But after that, we, we got on camp. So we had those empty months um, set up with, with just camps and racing in the team. So that was nice to have. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure it must have been. And then we were sitting home and, you know, we obviously had our Corona experience, but for you guys, you had European champs in 2020. And it was so good mm -hmm. to see racing again. And I can't tell you how jealous we were that you guys were racing at uh, European champs. For sure. And um, yeah. it, what, you know, it must have been nice because it, it was a weird season because you only race European champs right at the end of the year. And it was a huge gap between the yeah. beginning of the year and then racing European champs and then another big gap between European champs and the first World Cup. So I'm interested to see how you approach that Europeans. It must have been, it's not just European champs. It is basically the world champs because it's the only ro rowing race of the season and you came away with a silver medal. So it must have been another a good validation of the new system of the new training. Um, and it must have been a, a good end to your, your 2020. I was really nervous when I got to a European uh, in Poznan because I, I didn't know how fast I would would be. Yeah, I raced the, the team, but I saw that um, I saw that I have a good steep speed. But you, you know, the, the major girl was just to see how fast I can be against Sanita. Sanita was the girl to beat there, and I could beat her in the semifinal, but in the final she she beat me back. Um, so I was second and she, she was in the gold medal uh, spot. Um, and I was really unhappy again because I trained so much. I was on camps the whole year, but I, can't, I couldn't bring a high speed to the, to the race. So after Europeans, we, we changed the, the program again because we saw that um, the program is not perfect for me, maybe for others, but not for, for me as a singer's color. And yeah, and is so that, I was really is that with your is that with your German coach now? Because did he carry on through through COVID? How was that? How did you manage training um, during twenty twenty when you everyone was kind of split up? Yeah, well, in twenty twenty, um, he became the head coach in Austria. Then after that, so oh, okay. first I joined his group, and then Austrian rowing was looking for a new head coach in spring twenty twenty. And he got the position. So since then, he yeah. he's um, head coach in Austria, and he's um, my second coach because I also got my old coach back. So I have two coaches behind me at the moment, and um, I think that was the the key for success for me uh, in the end. That I have two behind me, I have four eyes looking in my eyes, looking on my technique and on my program, and we found uh, the best program program which would fit my my rowing style and my my strengths yeah and then you know you talk about like changing the program what what's you know it's an interesting thing when athletes go through their career because it's a learning process you know elite sports the training that you have to do to rowing it's a very 
it's a very different experience from athlete to athlete. You know, your bodies respond differently to certain stimuli. So what works for one athlete might be a bit different for another. What are those what are those kind of changes that you found that you made over the years to the program that actually suited you? Was it was it a shift from the high intensity stuff to more steady state and then uh, fewer high intensity sessions or you know, did you was it were there changes to the actual sessions that you did during the week? What kind of cross training you did? Was there more rowing, less rowing, more gym, more running? What are those what are those the small things that you found you know worked for you and, and what the changes made a positive effect for your racing? Well, uh, up to 2016, we, we saw that I can race for one race at really high level. But we saw that maybe the endurance is just missing to put it in other races too. So that's also what, what my German coach said, that um, I need more endurance. So we did a lot of volume training in 2020. Mm. I did lots of cycling. Cycling, cycling, cycling. Cycling, cycling, cycling. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, but we also reduced the, the high-intensity work, the threshold and everything. So he's more a fan of polarized training, you know. But I saw that uh, my strength is going away with that because I can really start fast and do a fast sprint. And I, was, I saw at the Europeans in Poznan that I couldn't sprint and I couldn't start fast anymore. So I was really unhappy about that. And uh, then we, we, we changed the, the program and we put in more work again and lower volume but yeah in the end i'm still biking a lot and getting the the minutes in with that yeah and when you when you're going cycling is it on the is it on the the road bike and going out on the on the road or is it on the stationary bike well in the winter i have to go inside because we have snow and ice in austria but yeah when we're on camps <laughs> and normally <laughs> i go on the road bike or on the mountain bike yeah, it depends on the, okay. the temperature. Yeah, but lots of road biking. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's also and nice to have some right. alternative training. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. for sure. We yeah. I really enjoy the mountain biking. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things yeah. to do, but it's it always comes with a risk of in, injury yeah. and uh, and hurting yourself. Yeah. So then it always has to be cut back a little bit. Yeah, but you know, in a single, it's it's mentally tough to go twice in the water. I've never rode twice a day. It's really seldom that I'm, I'm going twice a day, a day on the water, except in team boats. I might do a second session on the water. So normally I just do weights or, or biking in the afternoon. And that's, that's okay because we want to have quality stroke and not quantity strokes. So we yes. do one, one good session on the water and that's it and the rest on the bike. And that's, that's, that really fits for me because it's mentally really tough to, to do two good rows a day so yeah it's it's nice like that i like it so then out of out of like all your general training sessions which session is your top session which is the session that you you kind of look forward to or not necessarily look forward to but which one do you enjoy, enjoy the most i really enjoy when i do three times two k's in different stroke rates so that's just bring some speed and power in the stroke. That's what I really like. Uh, yeah, I don't like to do long steady state rows. It's just, yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I think you feel the same. It's boring from time to time. <laughs> that was going to be my next question is, which is the most uh, tedious? <laughs> yeah. There we go. You answered, uh, answered that question. Yeah. Yeah, yeah long steady state rows. Uh, also mentally yeah. tough, but yeah, you need them yeah, to stabilize the and are you and everything. 
are you training with uh, other people all the time? Like when you're on the water, is, are there always other crews on the on the water to kind of row with, or is it do you enjoy going on your own? Well, it depends. When I was home the past years, I always had my sisters, my sister on my side, so she's a good training partner for me. But last year, when I was on, on many camps just before the Olympic Games, we always were looking for a lightweight guy who could race me from behind. So who's just coming up and I have to hold against. So that's what we try to simulate in a race. You know, I had mostly, I had my sister in front of me, which I had to catch and I had somebody from behind coming. So I had two psychological um, points, which I had to master in, in training. So that was, it was really challenging, but um, got me, got me in the right mood for, for Tokyo and yeah. Also for the fitness, yeah, because if you race guys all the time, it's making you just strong. So that it's quite a good because there was something I wanted to get into, and maybe it's a good time to to dig into it. Is the because especially in the single, it's a very mental game going against your opposition, and you're alone in your boat. You know, you are the sole purpose person who can affect the outcome. What is your kind of mental game like down the down the racetrack when you're racing, and what are you? What are you trying to, from like the, the, the mental strength side, how are you trying to portray or, or trying to achieve during the, the race? Oh, in the race, I was, I, I want to tell everything now in the podcast. Yeah, I was about um, to say, giving all the secrets away. <laughs> no. <laughs> nah, nah, I mean, I'm well known for my fast start. I just want to have a good start to be secure that I get into the race in a, in a good position. Um, I don't like to come from behind, but I also did that. So in the in crucial semifinals where I was in fifth place or so, I can also sprint like like hell, but um, I just like to go out faster. That's that's what suits me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'm also a big fan of getting fast off the, blocks, the blocks, yeah. And yeah. generally people who can start fast can sprint, but it's just nicer to do it early and then be, <laughs> be up and, and watching uh, watching people and uh, then being down. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Magdalena, towards the end of um, 20, 2020, you actually had a, your own experience with COVID. Chat to us about what that what that was like and you know, I'm I'm really interested in what what the what the recovery was like. Like, how how long did it take you to get back on your feet? And I'm sure it must have been um, a difficult thing to go through because obviously, especially back then, it, there was a lot of unknowns. You weren't quite sure what you know what the symptoms were going to be like, and especially what the after effects, long term effects of the of the um, of the illness was going to be like. So, chat to us a bit about the going through that the recovery and then how it's it fed into the the season that you had last year wow the, the recovery was really hard um i remember that i had hard time when i restarted training after three weeks or so when i got all the medical tests done when they said okay i can restart because they were really um what is the what is the right name they were really accurate about um, my body to be really fit to retrain because they didn't know anything about if it, it's making damage to the lungs or to the heart or to anything. So mm. I got mm. all those um, points checked and then I restarted. But I really had a, a really hard time to just row 20 minutes on the earth. It, 
yeah, I was feeling like I'm dying after 20 minutes. I had to to go down from the erg and do some stretching and go on the bike for 20 minute, uh, minutes. And that, that was it for, for 40 minutes for the first weeks, I think. So after maybe two weeks then, we got on camp anyway. So it was planned and I joined the team and I was really suffering the first week, but then I saw that the speed is coming back quite, quite fast. So I was really happy about that, that my body could react could could get used to the training again and yeah i was nervous because everybody was hearing um horror stories about athletes who couldn't recover after corona so i was quite yeah anxious about that but in the camp i saw that i got the speed and i can also get used to the volume again and that made me really um be confident for the season again and it was a it was an interesting season last year because of the you know it a lot of the a lot of the nations everyone had a different response to the the pandemic and a lot of nations especially the continental ones australia new zealand and then usa canada you know they they didn't most of those countries didn't decide to send their scholars across so as a european scholar like yourself you know they're big names from around the world that you didn't get a chance to race against and it must have been interesting going into olympics having not raced everyone yet like you didn't get the full you had a really strong race in Lucerne racing against the some of the other uh, strong women in your field but it must be an interesting year not knowing exactly what where everyone was was lying going into the Olympic Games yeah exactly um I think last year there were just two girls missing which I couldn't race before the Olympic Games and that was Emma and Carling Seaman so those two were missing on my bucket list to <laughs> to see how fast they are. But yeah, I was really confident because I had such a good preparation just before Olympic Games and I just wanted to show my best drawing and my best performance. Yeah. And I I didn't want to focus too much on other people. I just wanted to show good races from the first heat on and that was my main focus. Yeah. And then Obviously, that fourth place finish at the at that World Cup in Lucerne obviously must have been a bit disappointing for you, but it was a very competitive race, and I think it still must have given you the confidence because you know that come around the Olympics final, you're right there in the in the medal race, and I think that's one of the biggest things to to have as an athlete going into the Olympics is that confidence that when you come down to that final, you can you can put yourself in that race to get on the podium. So you must have been fairly confident going into the Olympic Games with uh, the, pre the, the preparation that you had to, you know, be able to execute not only that final race, but get through the heat, get through the quarter, the semi, have a strong race in the semi, and you needed to have a strong race in your semi, and you did. And then mm -hmm. finally, at the, at, the, at the Olympic final, where everything counts, being able to go away with the win, you must have had a lot of confidence going into that racing. Yeah, I mean, the World Cup in Lucerne, must have looked really disappointed for me, but I was really happy because I was so close to the Russian. I was so close to Sanita and also to Kara Kola. Yeah. So I was really close to the podium and I was really happy when I, when I got back to the coaches and they reacted the same. So we were really confident for the next steps, which we have to take uh, towards Tokyo. And when you see my, my racing in 2000. 21 you saw that at the europeans i was i was ill because i had to yeah. to read through from 
after the heat. Yeah, I felt really bad in the heat. And so I went home after that. And I was ill for two weeks or so. So I had to rebuild the form towards um, the World Cup in Zagreb, where I could do a good race. But obviously, there was nobody from the big names there. So it was nice to find the rhythm again for racing and to build uh, towards um, Lucerne again. So I was really nervous just before Lucerne to see how the, the form is against the big, big names which came from overseas, like the Chinese and uh, Caracola and so. And yeah, it gave me a lot of confidence because it was everything was so close and I knew that I'm not in the right shape yet, that I can still produce some speed in the next weeks. And yeah, that's mm. what I did and yeah, brought it to football. Yeah, and then what was your, you know, obviously it's, it's Tokyo was so different from Rio. The the COVID and the pandemic put on so all these restrictions. So what was it like for you getting to the village and getting the training done and just, you know, embracing the Olympics? But it was a different, it was so different to Rio. You know, you had so much more restrictions and there was obviously, you had to stress about the Olympics, but you had to stress about COVID as well on top of all the racing. So you know, how, what was your experience like at the Olympics itself and, you know, your day-to-day activities, your day-to-day life? What did it, what did it look like? How did you feel and, and how did your, your preparations change maybe going into the racing at the Olympics? I think the biggest stress factor was getting tested positive uh, yeah. in, in the village or just before yeah. the Olympic Games. You know, I had contact to the Serbian girl and she wrote me that just when they got to the to the airport in Tokyo, yeah. they were put into quarantine, also the men's pair from Serbia. And that was just a disaster. And I I just wanted to avoid that. But you never know, yeah? Maybe you're tested false positive and those horror stories I, I was really afraid of. But um, in the end, I mean, everybody was used to, to wear a mask and to just, yeah, um, do all the stuff that they told you to do. Um, yeah, I felt really comfortable. I mean, the village was really similar to the to the village in Rio. Um, when I got into my yeah. apartment, I felt so. I felt like, yeah, I really felt home. In some point, yeah. I mean, I felt just comfortable, and I said, okay, that's that's my room. I sleep good. Um, the time difference is not making a big stress on my body, and the food was okay. Like you know how the food in the village is, so. Yeah, you just have to get used to it and yeah, keep keep negative in the in the in the corona sense. Yeah. <laughs> Every day was sure. a lucky packet yeah. if you've got corona yeah. on. Yeah. But it was. I mean having having the COVID test all the time yeah. and always having that test and then you know, I mean, as you say, everyone is trying to be careful. You obviously everyone is doing the the best they can do to to make sure that they don't get uh, get COVID, but you know it was still happening, and there were still people going down in the village. It was extremely stressful. I mean, we chatted to uh, Bruno Rossetti from the, uh, Italian, the four. Italian Four, and he tested positive on the morning of the the mm. final and couldn't race. And then yeah. you know just disasters like that really, and and I think all the athletes knew that they were that close to a disaster like that. So people were taking yeah. it very seriously at the games. And it was, it, it was extremely, extremely stressful, uh, the COVID element of uh, 2021. I think once it was hitting the rowing scene, like the, 
Netherlands team where the Josie, the, the head coach, yeah. was post, yeah, tested positive. Everybody was so nervous about it. So we avoided the big buses and so on. Yeah, just focused on that. Mm. But it was each day was really stressful with the testing. Yeah, all right. And then the the racing was also stressful as well because then there was a lot of you know uh, a lot of wind. The racing was really really hectic and and, yeah. and really up in the air. Some of the, the racing, so, people falling in the water, people catching crabs. Yes, yeah. so it was uh, the racing in Tokyo was was definitely unique. How did you manage? Hectic. How did you manage the the rough conditions? Ah, uh, I mean, in, I think the worst race was in in the semifinal in the so I mean in the in the water and in the waves, and mm. in the semifinal, I mean I'm well known that I can handle waves quite well, but in the semifinal I couldn't because obviously yeah it was the semifinal Olympic semifinal where the pressure is on and it's a lot of stress, mm. so I couldn't show my best drawing there, but um, I think in general we had really good conditions there. Except some final A races for maybe the women's quad and men's four. Yeah, so men's quad. They had, mm. Yeah, men's quad also. But I, I think it was really fair. So that that was the the most important yes. thing for me to have fair races and fair yes. lanes. So that that was fair, and so I was okay with the conditions. Yeah. Mm. And then. You've got to talk us through the the final, the A yeah. final. I mean, it was so the race close. Of your life, it yeah. was such a incredible rowing race to to watch. So, just tell us what is it like being part of that race, and what is it like uh, crossing the finish, knowing that you you're going to stand on the podium. Hmm. It's yeah, it's amazing. I mean, when I crossed the finish line, the people always ask. What do you think the first time when you cross the finish line? And I just thought, well, I just deserve it. You know, I worked so hard for that. Uh, I made no mistakes. <laughs> I deserve it to have a medal now. Um, yeah, that's what I thought the first time. I was, yeah, I was really happy. But uh, the week that's was really great. stressful with that hard semifinal. The semifinal was really, you know, you know, you, you know the names. I mean, it was it was a hard seating there so once i got through the semi-final a huge release is on um is, is in your body or in your mind but then you have to focus again because also there the final was on the next day and i had not much time to recover well like in rio yeah. i was really afraid that i make the same mistakes like in rio or the same performance so that stressed me a lot there so when i woke up in the morning of the final race you're always afraid of feeling your legs, first steps you do, first steps you go. So I felt my body, okay, it's it's not too bad, should work today. And yeah, <laughs> then I I, and, I got and your body your body plays tricks with you. Yeah, it always plays yeah, serious tricks with you at that point as well. Because you're never really exactly. sure. You're like, oh I feel good, but it could yeah, be really it bad. It could be this. I'm still feeling this, yeah. It's I think it's a it's a, di a dilemma when there's so much pressure on performing in one day, it's never going to be perfect. Like you're going to wake yeah. up and there's going to be something that your mind yeah. has to find. It's going to be like, oh my gosh, maybe I, you know, I went to bed half an hour later, I woke up, my, I feel a little bit sore in my legs. There's always something going on. And that's the thing about racing is that it's never going to be perfect. If you expect your Olympic A final to be perfect, 
you're in for a surprise because there's always something that happens yeah. and it's the it's it's the athletes that can perform under those when it's not going up right or when things yeah. when you are feeling a little bit fatigued those are the athletes that go on to win that's that's what i thought you know i thought okay my legs feel a bit tired but the legs from my for my opponents we also feel tired and yeah. i just thought i mean if it's not gonna happen today when should it happen then i made no mistakes i i had a good preparation i had good racing there i just need to show it in the final race and so i did i said okay i will bring all the stress out of the boat once you sit in the boat you feel good but the all the whole preparation right before you know the warming up the going to the the gutter course bringing the blades down and i was the, the whole stuff like that it's making really stress and you you are so much concentrating on the feeling of your body that you're really freaking out from time to time. Yeah, you feel like getting mm. ill, you're heating up and just think, yeah, it's not normal, my body has something, but in the end it's just stress. Just have to, to handle the stress, to sit in the boat and just row. And that's it. That's what I thought on yeah. the start line. Just row. No matter how the legs feel. Um. Yeah, and then ugh, it must. It was it was an incredible result, and also you know Lawrence and I, you know, we do the podcast, and over the years we've become huge fans of the sport. You know, obviously as competitors, but then also you know we spend so much time speaking to different athletes from different events, and we've become massive fans of the sport from from um, from a different side. And uh, I can tell you, seeing yourself finally on that olympic podium because you know we've seen we've watched the the races throughout the years it's been really competitive and you know you've 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 always been consistently competitive in that in that women's a event so i mean a huge congress con congratulations from from us and it must have been an incredible feeling finally you know getting to the olympics and you on the podium and i think that's that's something that all athletes out there, especially in the sport of rowing, that is the ultimate goal, is getting onto the podium at the Olympics. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it was really awesome. important. I just, I also wanted to show, you know, that also little rowing nations can produce medals. I mean, it's hard to to make a medal for, for Austria. We, you don't have the perfect environment. You have to make it mm -hmm. on your own. You have to make, you have to produce the environment. They can help you yeah. in the best way, but you need to know what you need. And that was the case over the past 10 years, I would say, to produce the, the right environment to, to, that make, can make you help uh, medal at the Olympic Games. Definitely. And it was obvious, yeah, it was the first female Olympic rowing medal for Austria. So that, that was also a part of history for Austria. It was really nice. Yeah, it's, a, oh, it's incredible. Well done. Mm. Yeah, that is really awesome. That's very yeah. cool. So, Thank you. The, and actually, one of the, the, the things I wanted to ask was what has been the most, what's been the best experience since the Olympics regarding the, the medal and the, your experience at Tokyo? Oh, since, uh, since the Olympics. Well, I got the bad injury in, in the fall. Where oh, I had a lot so of the, time. The, yeah. <laughs> Uh, what happened there? Because I, I saw on your social media that you you hurt your ankle, I think. Yeah, I got a perineal subluxation with torn ligaments, so it was a really bad injury, and yeah, it was really stressful there because I wanted to go to the uh, coastal world champs with my sister in the double to do something different. Yeah, yeah finally, another boat, uh, another rogue style, but then I hurt myself. Yeah, I was doing some TV show um, coverage and I, I fell with the bike. 
Okay. So I couldn't get out of the pedal of the click system. <laughs> yeah. Everyone does shit. this. Everyone. Yeah. No. But actually, that wasn't my question. My question was, what is the best, best experience about <laughs> <laughs> the injury? It's <laughs> a hard question. Hmm. I think, you know, when I finished Tokyo, I was really sure that I would quit rowing because I was so happy with what I did. And I thought, okay, um, what should go better now? I mean, I made a medal at the Olympic Games. Um, I wrote history. Um, I'm just happy with what I could do. But the best experience was that um, I'm still burning, that I saw that I'm still burning for the sport, that I still still love the sport. So um, I think you can have it when, you, when you're having a good career, where you always have fun in what you do. Then such a moment is not killing your passion about sport, you know, or it's mm. not an injury. And I was really happy to see that, that I still love the sport. And that she still want to to go on, and um, yeah, I think that was the best moment after that. Yeah. Awesome, very yeah, good. So, so, yeah, you you kick it off. I think that that's gonna bring us to our what we call our quick fire questions, which is questions that we ask every guest on the show, and we're not really sure why we call them quick fire questions because <laughs> sometimes they can be really long, <laughs> and depends on on how you. They're all about how you interpret them. You can take them in, in any way you want and answer them in any way uh, you feel that, uh, that, that you, you want to. So the first question is, and actually this might be pretty straightforward for you, but we'll see, is if you, can race, if you could race any uh, boat class at the Olympic Games, uh, what boat class would you choose and, uh, and why? I think I would... <laughs> Choose a bigger boat, yeah, like crew boat. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's easy. Um, I think I love quads, you know. When I started rowing, I was always rowing quads, and quads can feel so cool when they're really flowing and flying. So I would do it a women's quad, I think, yeah. That's, that's a cool boat class. It's not too big, but it's producing good speed. Nice. Yes, I, thought, I thought you were going to say the double with your, with your sister would be a good one. Yeah, that would be also nice. But when we raced the quad at the first junior champs, she was also sitting inside, so she can be. Yeah, oh, okay. I see. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this 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 leads very very nicely into the next question because if you could choose any three people from around the world and from any time um, to be in that quad with you, which three crewmates would you choose? Oh my god. Hmm. <laughs> the pressure's on oh that's that's a difficult question ah first one would be my sister i think if she would would join i mean it's hard racing <laughs> um hmm. i've never raced with um ekaterina karsten you know when we oh, do the, the, the great yeah. yeah she's a legend she's so nice when you chat to her um because we when we do the the great eight racing in boston we always race together, so I've been racing with almost every big name from around the world in the eight or in the double or so. But yeah, so it would be maybe Katarina Karsten is a legend, and the fourth one maybe a guy who's making the power in the boat. <laughs> no, you can know. go. You can pick. It's you can choose whoever you want. Uh, that's so difficult. Hmm. 
I don't know, uh, a powerhouse like Mahed Reister maybe to to put into the in the middle of the boat. Nice. I would I would set the rhythm, put a Katarina and Mahe in, in in the middle, <laughs> and my sister on the bow, and we would fly. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. And then if you had to, so now you you you're rowing in this boat and it's starting to to go quite well, and you actually want to go and race it. Who would you choose as your coach to train this group? I would choose my my coach, which is uh, my close coach at the moment. So it's uh, Kurt Dreyer. Yeah, he's he's a really cool coach. Yes, he's passionate about it. You know, he has a loud voice, and that's making trainings always nice and cool. Mm, okay. <laughs> Did he train you all the way to to Tokyo? Yeah, he was my close coach, and Robert Sands, um, the head coach. He was my second coach when he had no time because he's working as a police officer beside. So mm. it was always like one week with Robert, two weeks with Kurt. So in the mix all the time. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Um, and then the next, the next question is: If you, uh, what is your favorite rowing race that you find yourself watching over and over again? It doesn't have to be one of yours, but just through, what is the the race that you always go back to watch? Was <sighs> hmm. it difficult? I like. I mean, I like my races because they, they fill me up with joy when I see them. When I'm when I'm yeah. feeling sad, I watch a race and I feel better afterwards. It's it's really nice. So at the moment, it's yeah, it's, it's Tokyo race, the the final. But I really enjoyed the race from the lightweight men's double in Tokyo because Jason and and Johnny we trained together with Robert Sands because he was the former coach of them in the double when I joined the group of them. Yeah. So it was really nice to see how they could um, challenge the Irish guys in the final race. It was really cool to see. And yeah, I like to rewatch that. But yeah, at first place, uh, my races would be. Uh, well, I mean, that's completely, under completely understandable, uh, considering yeah. that you just raced the Olympic final last year. They got you your medal. Nice. So the next question is a new one, actually, on our quick fire questions. And it's what's your favorite, uh, the favorite, your favorite meal that you've ever had? It's, yeah, it's not just had. it's not just the the food. It's the experience. What is the best meal experience that you've ever had in your life? The, the most joy I had maybe last year when I went in the Olympic Village to to the to the Japanese local food stuff, you know, which was so much more quality and and joy to go there and, and get some. Some nice food there just in between the races. Um, but the best experience, it's difficult questions you are talking about. <laughs> I'll wait for the next one if you think this is hard. <laughs> we, we're, all about the, we're all about the hard questions. Um, you know, maybe when in 2013, when I came back from, from the World Champs in Chungyu, where I finished fourth, they. They had a party for me at home and they put a big pig on a, what is it called? On a, on on a, 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 over a fire, a you know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was really delicious. And we had a big uh, garden party and ate the pig. <laughs> oh, <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. That sounds right up me and Jake's street. Yeah, that's exactly what's, <laughs> what we enjoy. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the, the next one, okay, the hell, here we go. 
Next one is if you were in charge at World Rowing, what would you change and why? Cool. Huh. I would change the advertising rules. It's so hard to find, you know, to get your sponsors be happy about the, the advertising rules. It's always stressful when you go on regardless because I'm really um, accurate about the, the size that everything is in, in order, you know, when I go there. But the referees are always coming with their measure bands and stressing you just before the race. So that's, that's something I really hate about it. It's, but a better thing is, to make video coverage for each race, not just for a finals, you know. We yeah, are in that's, a, that's very true. I mean, in times like they, this, that it's not happening that they have video coverage at World Cup in Lucerne for, for heats and semifinals. That's, I can't understand that, you know. That's really a pity. But maybe if they had more advertising and then they would have more money and they would be able to... Um, Spend some, uh, spend some on advertising on on, on coverage, the video coverage on yeah. the video coverage. But I'm with you 100. percent That's my. Yeah. That's exactly what I always say. Is just open it up. Let people promote their own brands. You know, rowing doesn't have a lot of money. It needs mm -hmm. it needs more sponsors coming in. It needs more athletes need to be able to show that they can provide something back to to people that sponsor them. So mm -hmm. I think yeah. uh, that's a really really good answer. And I think on that, though, one of the other things that we always spoke about, one of the things we're so happy with is how the the gender equality has come so far on in rowing. And, you know, last year we thought was one of the best years ever for rowing from a guy's side and a girl's side together. And we wanted to ask you how you feel, like you've been rowing since, uh, you know, 2006, how you feel like uh, women's rowing has changed over this uh, big period of time? Uh, it has changed incredibly. Uh, but especially, I think, after Rio Olympics, where they put the women's four into the Olympic program, everybody said, oh, the women's four is not competitive enough. And so, but you saw such a big increase in professionality mm. in this in this cruise. And it's one of the toughest boat classes at the moment, I think. it's Yeah, it's really mm. competitive. And it's really nice to see that that the nations um, um, saw the chance that there are more boat classes now and they are just yeah focusing on the on the heavy girls. It's really cool to see. Yeah, because yeah. because I mean we felt like it was really sad to see the lightweight fall go, but the women's fall was absolutely necessary to add to the the program mm -hmm. because it's not only you know it's not only a good event by itself, but it's also a big stepping stone for countries you know to move into the four to slowly start to to look at the eight you know it's really difficult to go from a pair all the way to an eight whereas the the four is a that it's a big bridge across the the gap so um exactly. yeah we thought it's it's really important mm. yeah yeah um and here we go this is the one that everyone out there wants to know so Magdalena, what is your two thousand meter PB on the on the ergo? Oh, it's not a big surprise. I produce a six forty. But nice. I'm we fighting. actually have <laughs> Yeah. I'm, I'm fighting for the three, you know. I I want to break the six forty. It was the yeah. goal for this winter to break it, but yeah, I, I couldn't do it because of my injury yet. 
but I hope to break yeah, this, this wall soon. You know, you've been rowing for for a while now. You know, you're going into your you know your well, you're going into your fourth Olympic cycle now. What? When did you manage to to get that PB? Um, first time I showed it was in 2017 at the World Games. Yeah, interesting. Well, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure you'll get there. But I tell you what, we have a ergo ladder where we have uh, put everyone we've spoken to on the show. You fit in between Emily Regan from the USA, who's racing the women's eight, and you are just in front of Victoria Thornley from GB. She pulled a six forty one, and you fit in a six forty just behind Emily, who's on a six thirty nine. Okay, who's the fastest? Olena. The fastest that no, no, we'll give you, we'll give you, we'll give you two guesses, and then we'll tell you if you don't get it. I, it should be either Emma or Carling, I think. Or in total, it, it's in total. Or I so think Emma is Emma's, Emma's second on our list. Number and okay, one. what do you what do you think the time is? It's a twenty. Anything. Okay, oh, yeah. so Emma's on six. Emma's on six twenty nine, second place. Yeah. And, and the, the fastest place. person we've had on our show is Kim Brennan, 626. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's, no, that's impressive. No. no, that's impressive. We, But we, that does not take away from your 640 because that is also outrageous. I mean, that puts you in on a ninth place on our on our list so top 10 and that's uh that's really (laughs) considering the people we're talking to it's not a bad it's not a bad crowd to be in yeah nah i'm happy with it because you always have to see the weight you know the weight and the height on the erg so i think that is true hey yeah i think my relation is quite okay with 640 at 70 kilos so it's okay you also That's have to good. to move your mass in the thing, and the erg is not floating, so I think it's okay to do six point. Yeah, that is that is very true. That is very true. So then our, our last uh, question is, if you had to choose a different sport to go to the Olympics in, which sport would you choose and why? Hmm. I would go to Winter Olympics to biathlon. Hmm. It's, it's really cool to shoot and to... But- to cross country ski. To cross country ski. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, that's interesting because um, do you do any cross training with the cross country skiing? Because I mean, Austria yeah. must be one of the the premier skiing destinations in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we do lots of cross country skiing normally in winter time, but it depends on how many time we are at home. You know, when we are a lot of um, camps, we can't we can't ski. Yes. So I, I really enjoy that. But with my intro, it became really difficult to do it this winter season, even though we had um, a lot of snow. So I was really sorry about that. But yeah, hopefully next season again. I really love it. It's a good training. And do you, do you fancy yourself an a accurate marksman with the air rifle? I suppose <laughs> yeah, from a yeah. military background, it's just up your alley. Yeah, I'm good in shooting, but yeah. I think it's really challenging to, to ski and then to shoot, to get your breathing out of control. And so it's really nice to watch on television. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's really it is incredible. Yeah. It's incredible to watch on, on television. Yeah. Oh, the Olympics yeah. are just amazing because now the Winter Olympics on and then you just get caught up so quickly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. I really like it. It is very really cool. 
And even for South Africa, which I don't think we've ever sent anyone to the, the Winter Olympics. <laughs> we know nothing. We know nothing yeah. about competing in the cold. And we can easily you turn it on and watch it so easily. Yeah. Yeah. That's very yeah. cool. 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 So as we as we're wrapping up, I think just give us a, a kind of you now you're back into you said that fire's still burning and you know Paris is is only three years away. Um what are you looking forward to? What are you trying to kind of get right this year moving into the, the Paris twenty twenty three cycle? Well yeah, I mean this year we have European champs and we have uh, world champs, but I will go for the first time to the Hende Royal Regatta. So I'm really looking forward to oh, that. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the best. It's really nice. And I hope I can make it this year. Because last year, it it was after the Olympics, I think. Yeah, there wasn't. Yeah, that got, got postponed. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. Very cool. so that's very cool. That's, that's a major goal for this year, to have a good race there. And to, to suck in the environment. It should be really nice, I heard. Yeah, the environment at Henley is amazing. I've only been there once, but it's just, oh, it's so cool. different to anything else out there. It's just, you know, it's, you know, it's one thing about rowing. It's like that spectator value over the 2000 meters, whereas you get to Henley and it's literally start and there are people all the way down till, till the yeah. finish line. It's just people having fun and watching the race and cheering you on. It's a, it's a very cool experience. And it's knockout yeah. one-on-one, you versus the other person. So it's, it's yeah, quite, yeah, it's quite intense too. Yeah, it's it's something for singers' colors. I think it's good. <laughs> yes, <laughs> very yeah. much so. For sure. Yeah. So, so I think that wraps it up for us. So I think from our side, just a huge thank you for giving us a big chunk of your time and sharing your stories and your incredible rowing career. It's been amazing to to hear your story and your journey. You're welcome. It was it was a pleasure yeah. to talk to you. <laughs> Cool. So that is a wrap for Magdalena Lobnik. Jake, what do you think? I think, Lawrence, this is another one um, in the books. Uh, every episode we have on the Row Show, every athlete we have on the Row Show has such incredible stories, such incredible journeys. And, you know, Magdalena, just chatting to her about the, you know, the, the work she's done in the single and the, you know, the, the way she took the skull, the skull as her own event, and uh, the independence and the power she brought into the single, and uh, you know the t- determination to move into an event like that, and you know make it her own, and come away with a bronze medal. I think I love that narrative um, about Magdalena. It was incredible to chat to someone that has done that because it's it's an incredibly difficult thing to do, especially um, moving into a boat like uh, the men or women's single. Um, of an event where a lot of ex- experience and pedigree comes, uh, you know, comes to the winners. So, you know, it's great to chat to someone that's moved into an event like that, and it's she's definitely a name that we're going to have to watch out for going forward. So, I mean, you know, I love that 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 part of our interview. Yeah, and I think with um, Emma, we think is retiring. You're not sure, but definitely taking some time off. Uh, Russia looks out the picture, so you know that leaves Magdalena wide open to to take this as her own. And I think uh, this is the beginning. And I think we we're going to see a lot of her in the next three years. Well, I hope we see a lot of her in the next three years, especially after this chat. Mm, for sure. Besides that, guys, just a shout out to our Patreons again. You guys are awesome, and thanks so much for supporting um, us on the show. Without you guys, it would not be possible. And um, 
to everyone out there, if you're interested, you can go out to, to Patreon and have a look there and, and you know, have a look at the, the tiers and the, the rewards available. And besides that, you can find us on Instagram. You can email us and get the word out yep. there. And share the show. Share the show. Tell, get it out there. Tell a friend about us. Uh, I know it's tough to, to get through a full episode. We, we sometimes drag on a bit, but <laughs> tell someone that uh, at least lie to them and tell them you enjoy the show. And, yeah, we'll hear from you and we'll see you guys next week. You'll hear from us next week. Yeah. Enjoy. Enjoy. Cheers, guys. Cheers, guys. We're out. Um, but yeah, besides that, guys, just, you know, a bit of... Um, hold on, let me start again. <laughs> You're killing me. <laughs> I have to edit this now. <laughs>